So um, if we had the time, I would tell you how I ended up here, uh, but we don't have the time, but it's a really crazy story, and all I will tell you is that God is for you, God has a plan, and if you start saying yes to him, crazy things happen, and he opens up doors. So, um, all right, so here's the deal. I read this quote yesterday, and so I decided to add it to the introduction to this message. It says, we don't need more facts. And we certainly don't need more things to do. We need life. And we've been looking for life ever since we lost paradise. We being mankind, paradise being the Garden of Eden. Um, And so today, my goal is not to speak my words or what I think is a good idea. I want to speak life into you. I want to pull it right out of the book. Um, And so let's go ahead and pray before we get into it. and hopefully that's what will happen. Dear Lord, thank you for today, and thank you for um, showing up in this place, for meeting us here. Um, I pray over every person in this room right now that ears would open, hearts would open, um, that the things you would have them to hear would be heard today and understood, that people would be made new, whether they're brand new to this thing or whether they've been doing church their whole lives. Today's a great day to be made new. So let's, um, we just hand this whole, the rest of this service over to you. And we believe you for that. Amen. All right? Okay. So I grew up about 10 miles from here. I was born in Jamestown. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Jake. I forgot about that. I decided to name this message Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll because what, <laughs> then he's like, I'm glad I came to church. Um, because, like, what is God's will for your life just doesn't have as good a ring to it, does it? Maybe it does. I don't know. We'll see. But sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I'm going to talk about all three of those things today, actually. So here's the deal. I grew up uh, about 10 miles from here, born in Jamestown, grew up outside of town close to our little airport, if you've ever been there. Um, But I have this sports radio guy that I like to listen to. That's kind of my guilty pleasure. If I ever need to just, like, unplug from planet Earth for 30 minutes... I'll like do the dishes or mow the lawn and just listen to, the, to sports radio. But I never talk to anybody else about it because nobody else cares, but it's just like kind of my one thing. So, but anyways, he says this all the time, and it used to bug me a lot, but he says most people, or like 60% or 70%, some random number of people, live within 20 miles of where they grew up. And his point, because he's moved from the West Coast to the East Coast to South to back to the West Coast. He's been all over. And his point is most people fear change, like what's comfortable, and are afraid to risk. Okay? And when I hear that, this is why it used to bug me. I don't want to be a guy that's afraid to take risks. I want to get to the end of my life and know that I pushed all the chips to the middle of the table. I want to have no regrets. Maybe you can relate with that. Um, So when I look at my driver's license and the address on it is literally about four or five miles from the house I grew up in, uh, I start to ask myself, am I playing it too safe? All right? So side note, this is why it can be very dangerous who you take advice from. Like this guy wasn't giving me advice, but if I had filtered things of my life through some random sports radio guy that just talks all day for money, that could have been very dangerous, right? So just... That's not one of my points, but just be careful who you take advice from. Um, Anyways, what I have come to realize is God's will is where I want to live. All right? And if I can live life under his will, just 10 miles from my childhood home or 10 minutes, I'm good with that. Because I could move 
to Hawaii or California or anywhere, right? But I've chosen to stay here for a whole bunch of reasons. Uh, I don't want to go over them all right now, but there are reasons. I keep telling myself that. There's reasons that I'm here. Um, and God has given me opportunities to live in his will right here. And if I moved, he'd give me opportunities to live in his will wherever I moved. Uh, because this is what I've come to learn. His will is not a place. It is a covering. It is a set of guardrails to protect and provide for us in life. And that's what we're going to dive into today. What the heck is God's will for your life and how does it work? All right, let me take a sip of coffee. All right, and let's get into this. Let's go back in time about 10 years. I just turned 30. So let's go back in time to 20-year-old Quint. I'm very glad that very few of you had to know him. Honestly, I feel like I barely know him, um, which is probably a good thing. But because of Jesus, I'm a totally different human today. I, was, I pretty much lived my life with one, one goal, have fun. Um, my favorite, one of my favorite songs went like this. Jake, will you just play it? Responsibility, what's that? Responsibility, not quite yet. Responsibility, what's that? I don't want to think about it. We'd be better off without it. Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> it's a good day. The words, if you couldn't understand them, are responsibility, what's that? Responsibility, not quite yet. I don't want to think about it. We'd be better off without it. And that was kind of like my MO. So, um, so anyways, I grew up on music. And, and uh, my parents are here today. When I was a kid, all I did was sing. They will tell you. I still remember one time I was singing this really dumb song that went, I feel so mad. I feel so angry. And I was a happy kid. But my dad, my dad, who does not sing, sang from the other room, why do you feel so angry? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, uh, I don't. It's just a song. So point number two that is extra credit, what you let into your brain actually matters. So be careful of the stuff that you listen to. Not, those are not parts of my message, but those are just be careful who you take advice from. Be careful what you let into your brain. Two very important life lessons right there. Um, so anyways, when I was about 17 years old, me and some of my friends decided to start a band. I was in heaven. I've, I grew up on piano, and around 14, I started teaching myself guitar. Um, guitar kind of has become my main instrument, but if, you, if I could be alone in a big room like this with an instrument, I still would choose the piano. Um, but anyways, I, I had this band. We called ourselves Failing Friday, okay? That is a true story. Failing Friday. When I was a senior in high school, I had two study halls uh, to kick off every Friday. And so I would procrastinate everything to those study halls. Was I a senior? Or, I don't know, junior? I was a junior. Anyways, um, I just remembered what school I was in, and it was a different school than I was a senior, so it must have been junior year. But anyways, I came out. I did nothing one Friday in either of those study halls, absolutely nothing. And I came out of them, entered the hallway, and thought, oh my gosh, I just failed all of Friday. And that's how we got our band name, for real. Like, I was like, well, not a great day for Quint the student, but we have a cool band name. This is going to work. Um, so anyways, once we started playing, though, my band, you heard the style of music that we played. I would say that we were above average, which is plenty good for punk rock music, OK? Above average, you're soaring far and above most of your counterparts. So 
Uh, in two years, we wrote about 20 songs. We probably played 50 shows, and we made a seven-song album. We had 200 copies of them made, probably actually sold 120 and gave away like 80. We weren't great at business. In fact, anytime we had money in our little Folgers can, we just bought pizza and wings with it. Like that was our, that was our profit margin right there, pizza and wings. Um, but anyways, here, so here's why I take you down uh, memory lane. First of all, you don't know me, so I thought I would introduce myself a little bit. I'm sure you're glad that I did. Um, but it does tie into the message. The message is what is God's will for your life and how does it work? Um, I believe God created me to make music. Okay? And I believe he created me to be involved in worship and to use my talents in a way that honors him. And for real, I still believe this today. I could have done that even with my rock band. Like, I could have totally, totally done the right things and honored him. Our whole thing, though, me and my friends, was we were Christians in a band, but we weren't a Christian band, right? It's like we believe we're not going to force it down your throat. We're just going to have positive, uplifting songs. Um, here's the only problem. We didn't live like Christians in my band at all. We didn't look any different than our friends that we played with um, that weren't Christians in a band. We were the exact same. Our, so that's where it got off track. Um, we said the words. We claimed to know Jesus, but we did not live differently. And so I share all this with you because I believe it was God's will for me to play music, but I took matters into my own hands. See, there's more than one ingredient to the recipe known as God's will. He doesn't just want your talents or your gifts. He wants you. Thanks. I brought some of that too, but thanks. Coffee, water, all of it. All at once. Okay. Um, see, he doesn't just want your talents or your gifts. He wants you. Because when he has you, he can actually use those gifts for his purpose. He will direct your steps. He'll put you in places you couldn't ever orchestrate on your own. He doesn't just want to be along for the ride that you think you're taking. We need to stop telling God what we're going to do and start asking him what he wants to do. Right? All right, so at the beginning of this year, fast forward back to present day, I was doing a really good job journaling every day. It was kind of this new thing I was going to do, and I was really enjoying it. And then I went to Washington, D.C., and an hour before we were supposed to leave, somebody smashed in my back window, stole my backpack with my journal in it, and totally broke up my rhythm. So there went journaling out the window. That was kind of a bummer, but it all worked out. We got all our stuff back, and not our, we had to rebuy new stuff of the same flavor, but anyways, Washington, D.C., not a happy place. Um, so, th but this is why I tell you that. In my journal, one of the first things I wrote down that still burned in my brain, I wrote, without sacrifice, there is no breakthrough. What are you willing to give to God to see breakthrough in your life? Are we willing to say, God, you're more important than my career, your plans are better than my strategies. I want to give up my man-made security and trust you for something way better. What the heck would your life look like if you did that? 
Do you have any idea? All right, we'll come back to that. Let's go to Luke chapter 16. Uh, we're going to spend a decent amount of time there this morning. We'll start at verse 10, but first let me recap verses 1 through 9. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll get you one or download our free Conduit Ministries app, and there's a Bible right on the app. Okay? So in Luke 16, 1 through 9, Jesus is teaching through a parable, and it's the story of the crooked manager. There was a manager... And he had a boss, and he was given some projects to oversee. And he was good at what he did, but he got off track. He, let me say it this way. He was above average at what he did, but he got off track. Does that sound familiar? Okay. He took matters into his own hands and started to justify certain behaviors. He was dishonest, and when his boss called him on it, he was stuck, and he knew it. So in a last-ditch effort, to cover up all of his wrongdoings, he went to those who had benefited from his dishonest ways and tried to buy their acceptance one last time. He cut them some deals, and here to me, as I read this, was the most shocking part. The master wasn't even more ticked when he found out what he'd been doing. He practically says, dang, I'm impressed. That's a paraphrase, but that's kind of what he said. <laughs> and Jesus turns it on his head when he turns to his disciples to teach, and he says, look, this dude knew how to look after himself. He was wrong and his life will still suffer the consequences of those choices, but he didn't just sit down and give in. Be like that. So here's, here's what I would, how, how I would say that applies to our real life, and then we'll get going into Luke 16.10. As a church and as a people who say, I go to conduit, we need to filter life through honesty and Christ's instruction, but we also need to use our heads. Jesus never called us to a life of just church attendance and never going out and reaching people. He called us to go out and to reach the nations. If we're going to do that, we can't be satisfied with church how it's always been. Okay? I think we do an awesome job of that here at Conduit, but it never hurts to remind ourselves why we're doing all of this. What Christ has called us to, what it looks like to go out after the lost sheep and help them become found. Does that sound familiar? We just finished a three-week series called Found. I read a quote this week uh, that said, the whole world around us is dying and going to hell, and we're sitting around talking about what great teaching we have or what great theology we believe in. Or I saw a picture like a month ago that said, everyone should go watch the movie The Revenant to see what people actually had to go through so we can sit at Starbucks and argue about theology today. I'm not recommending the movie The Revenant because it's pretty jacked up, but the guy gets like mauled by a bear and then crawls for six weeks trying to live. Like that was just real life. That was like a Tuesday for him. Okay? So, for real, like we need to use our heads and be wise because the harsh reality is this. The world is screaming so loud at people. The world is screaming so loud at you. Satan doesn't let up. He's out there trying to take us out shower us with guilt. If we aren't wise and intentional with our lives, he will succeed. It's time to wise up. We need to grab our neighbors by the hand, like at the 4th of July tomorrow. We need to intersect them in real life where they're already going to be. And we need to invite them to the table. 
Does that sound familiar? About a month ago, we did a three-week series called The Table and inviting people to the table. Here at Conduit, we want a longer table. We don't want a wider table so there's more space between us and our brothers and sisters. We want more people at the table. Okay? Or how about just regularly, Food Truck Fridays. This whole summer, we're going to be doing Food Truck Fridays, as Katie just said. Or how about Conduit Kids? We could still use help with Conduit Kids, to be honest. I mean, it's a great ministry. Um, and we looked out the window and saw bounce houses and fun last week. But the 30 minutes of chaos that ensued before that, whoo, was crazy. Okay, so this is how we can be wise and intentional, intersect people in real life, serve on a regular basis, not out of obligation, out of an extension of your redemption, and the fact that you want to help others know that same freedom and that same redemption. All right. That's free, no charge. Let's get into this message. Verse 10 through 13, and point number one of my message. Verse 10 says, Jesus went on to make these comments after the story of the crooked, man crooked manager. If you're honest in small things, you'll be honest in big things. If you're a crook in small things, you'll be a crook in big things. If you're honest in small jobs, who will put you in charge of the store? If you're not honest in small jobs, who will put you in charge of the store? No worker can serve two bosses. He'll either hate the first and love the second or adore the first and despise the second. You can't serve both God and the bank. All right, point number one. And the reason I have Corey's giant umbrella in church today. God's will is not a life sentence. It is a life shelter. It is an umbrella that covers your life and protects your movements so long as they are God-inspired movements or more, more than likely and more often just God-honoring movements. Okay? Um, I've had people tell me, let me get a sip of water. I've had people tell me, I'm afraid to say yes to God. What if he ships me to Africa? And I think... If you're, afraid to, if you're afraid to say yes, you're probably not going to be much use to him in Africa yet. you got some growing up to do, right? Like, don't worry. He's not sending you there tomorrow. There's a process to this whole thing. Bonnie's going in six weeks, but that's another topic. Here's what I mean. God isn't going to tell you, God's probably not going to tell you specifically where to go to lunch today, right? He's not going to say, go eat lunch at Wegmans not how he works. He doesn't micromanage the details of life. We have choices and options. We have free will. Okay? What he does do is he gives us instructions on how to live when we're there, wherever there is. So he doesn't say go to Wegmans. He says be kind to those around you while you're there. He says look people in the eyes and love them. Invite them to the table. Don't judge them for their actions. They might not know any different. Be a light. Help them to see. Right? Just simple guardrails to live inside of a covering to go underneath. So here's how you can know you're in his will. You live under that umbrella. Right? But if you go around into the different facets of life and you're a total jerk, 
or you judge everything everyone ever does like it's your business, or you have a tendency to justify your dishonesty. It's just a little, it's just a little dishonest. Just a little. Yeah, just a little. You're pretty much saying, I don't need your umbrella, God. I've got this. I've got this. And you know what? You might have it for a time. Because when the sun is shining, unless you're Swedish like me, you don't need an umbrella, right? <laughs> that was a joke, but never mind. But when the storm comes, you come running back and you say, Jesus, help me, save me, I need you. And he will, and he wants to, but all the crap that happened outside of the umbrella follows you back in. And it affects people in your life, and it affects you. We have to live with consequences. I'll put it to you this way. When I had my band, a lot of what we did was harmless, stupid, just for fun, delaying responsibility. But there was a lot of stupid stuff we did that followed us for years afterwards. And if I could get some of those guys up here, they live all over the country now, but if they were up here, they would tell you the same thing. Some of that crap followed way longer than it needed to. The Bible is very clear how we can stay under His umbrella and under His will. It's loaded with instructions for real life. How about this? Can I give you an example that is super fun and not at all uncomfortable. You want to talk about sex? <laughs> or how about money? How about both? Is that too much for 10 a.m. at church? We'll start with sex. God says in His Word that it is in our best interest if we keep sex inside the boundaries of marriage between one man and one woman who have pledged to love each other for their entire lives. Right? That's what it says. I didn't make that up. Now, I don't know about you, but the radio stations that I do not listen to and the crap that's on television has pretty much brought sex down to a recreational activity that couldn't possibly have any negative consequences. You all are like, dude, you could have preached on anything. Why did you choose sex? Why not? All right. So if sex is just fun, and why would some church or some book Say that you can only do it with one person. Listen, I could camp out here for like two hours, but I'll try to keep it short. What a guy thinks about sex and what a girl thinks about sex are like 100% different. And when you play around with it like it's a recreational activity, you leave a wake of destruction in your heart that is indescribable. The guilt and the emptiness that you feel afterwards only leaves you wanting to try again and again and you have entered into a very vicious cycle. This is why it's so important to live under the shelter of His will. God's not being mean. He's trying to protect you from that wake of destruction that is indescribable. He's trying to make sure you get all of the enjoyment out of it that you can. See, your soul can't handle the burden that comes with multiple casual sex partners. It just can't. It leaves you feeling used. And here's what I'm here to tell you today. You are not a tool to be used. You are a son or a daughter of God. Okay? Here's the beautiful thing about grace. If I'm talking about something that makes you sick to your stomach right now, He's already forgiven it. He literally saw all of your life and still went to the cross. 
because he loves you that much. He values you that much. He's proving you're not a tool to be used, but you're a son or a daughter of God. And so that's not meant to be a point of conviction today, but hopefully a point of freedom. Because you can leave all of that here today. We're going to talk about money next. Cameron thought I should also tell you who I'm voting for in November. So I'm not going to do that, though. I haven't decided yet. Um, with money, God says, give me 10% and I'll make sure you can live on 90 Seems like a pretty bold ask, right? Like, God, do you know about the economy, the recession? Do you know how much kids cost? Listen, we sing that song here. Actually, my son, my two-year-old son, sings this song all the time. And I love it. I, better than a lot of stuff that people could be singing. He sings... When my hope and strength is gone. More than conquerors. And it says in the chorus, we are defiant in your name. How about with sex and with money or with ego or whatever it is for you, addiction? These are all great places to practice being defiant in his name. That's what that means, right? Defiant means an open and bold resistance. So how about when the temptation to not trust God with money comes up, you choose to be defiant. You decide on the way into church that you're going to give in the back at the end of the service, and Satan spends the entire time talking you out of it. How about you look up to God and you say, you know what, I'm doing this. I don't know how it will work out. I don't know how it will come together, but I trust you more than I trust me. I'm going to defy this temptation in your name. And you could apply that to sex. You could apply that to ego. You could apply that to little dishonesties. How about we choose to be a defiant church? I like that. Drugs and addiction. I told you I was going to talk about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Drugs and addiction. What if you gave your addiction to Jesus and just said, I can't handle it anymore. You died for it. You handled it. I'm done with it. And then the next time Satan comes to you and tries to talk to you about it, you can just say, that's not mine anymore. I gave it to Jesus. you got to go talk to him. Let me know how that goes. <laughs> I'm being for real. Here's a couple of verses. Psalm 107. I'll go there. I'll read it to you. Psalm 107 Verse 1 says, Oh, thank God, He's so good. His love never runs out. All of you set free by God, tell the world. Tell how He freed you from oppression, then rounded you up from all over the place, from the four winds, from the seven seas. How about you use that? And when Satan comes at you and says, tries to shower you with that guilt, you say, the only problem is I gave it to Jesus and in Psalm 107, he promises me his love never runs out. I was set free by God. I'm freed from this oppression. How about over in Psalm 91? Verse 1. You who sit down in the high God's presence, spend the night in his shadow. God, you're my refuge. You just say, God, you're my refuge. I trust in you and I'm safe. That's right. He rescues you. He shields you. Psalm 107 and Psalm 91, great places to start 
as you practice being defiant. Here's the thing. God's grace is the fact that we don't disqualify ourselves from his covering when we go out and do that stupid stuff. This is honestly why people have to preach grace, as beautiful as it is, is not a license to sin. Because grace is so scandalous and he is so gracious. He'll forgive us at our worst. He'll let us back under the umbrella and we can start seeking his will for our lives again. But like I said before, we can bring so much of that crap with us under that covering. It affects everyone else underneath the umbrella. It affects our families, our friends, our relationship with Jesus. Here are some direct ways to chase Jesus harder and therefore be fully confident that you are under his will. This is something for Tuesday at 7 a.m., Thursday at 1 p.m., life in general. Even if it's something simple, I mentioned simple dishonesty. What if your boss comes in, asks for a report? Do bosses ask for reports anymore? I don't know. Probably. Probably some bosses do. Ask for a report. You didn't do it. Listen, you can lie. You can tell them, oh, you can make up some story. Or you can just tell them straight up, listen. Like, this is what being defiant in the name of Christ actually looks like. I dropped the ball, I screwed up, I'm going to fix it right now, and I'm sorry. Tell the truth and fear no man, that kind of thing. Just tell the truth. Listen, as crazy as this sounds, God will bless that honesty. Your boss might not bless that honesty, but God will bless that honesty. Because he doesn't want your stories, he just wants you. Proverbs 3, 5 through 12. I'll read this to you. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure everything out on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do and everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Run to God. Run from evil. Your body will glow with health. Your very bones will vibrate with life. Honor God with everything you own. Give him the first and the best. Your barns will burst. Your wine vats will brim over. But don't, dear friend, resent God's discipline. Don't sulk under his loving correction. It's the child he loves that God corrects. A father's delight is behind all of this. See, we go do this stuff outside of his will, and then we want to come back, and those consequences are following us, and there's probably going to be some correction, right? Because you've got to fall away so that he can rise up. But don't resent that. Proverbs 3, 5 through 12, like halfway down. Don't resent that discipline. Embrace it. All right, so that's point number one. His will is not a life sentence. It's a life shelter. It's an umbrella meant to cover you and protect you. Point number two. His will is not a given. His will is not a given. In Luke 11... Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, and he says, he teaches them to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. My favorite author poses the question this way, why would we need to pray that if his will just happened? Why would we need to pray that? We don't have to pray for the sun to come up every day. It just happens. We don't have to pray for oxygen to be available to breathe. It's just available. But his will 
is not a given. Jesus is showing his disciples and ultimately us some things aren't a given and his will needs to be prayed into reality in our lives. He has given us the guardrails and the protection of his covering, but we need to daily be praying that we will stay wise to his will for us. That we will resist temptation so that it flees from us. Over in James 4, going a lot of places today. James 4 says this, verse 7, Let God work his will in you, Yell a loud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. See, we can resist his will or we can let him work his will in us. So maybe instead of just praying, Jesus, help me to have a good day and help the line not to be too long at Wegmans on 4th of July weekend and stuff like that. How about it's more like this? Holy Spirit, Keep me wise to your ways and your covering and how you would have me to live in all the situations I encounter today. That's how we should be praying. All right, his will is not a given, but I'm not trying to say that God is not ultimately in control. Of course he is sovereign. Don't think for two seconds I'm saying he's not sovereign. But he has given us freedom of choice. And he has created a world where the choices of angels and men matter. If those choices didn't matter, how would Adam and Eve have jacked this whole thing up? Right? I wrote this in Luke 16, um, right before 10 through 13. The Christian life is not a coast downhill. You're not like just waiting to catch a flight to heaven. You know that, right? Like you're on mission. You don't receive Jesus and then find yourself completely oblivious to all challenges. It's not how it works. You receive Jesus and he sets you free from the past crap that has ruled you and you can now pray every day to stay under his umbrella, to stay in his will. You've been invited into an adventure a chance to be raised up, how he purposed for your life. Over in Psalms 116, 1 through 8, it says, I love God because he listened to me. He listened as I begged for mercy. He listened so intently. As I laid out my case before him, death was staring me in the face. Hell was hard on my heels. Up against it, I didn't know which way to turn. And then I called out to God for help. Please, God, I cried out, save my life. God is gracious. It is he who makes things right, our most compassionate God. He takes the side of the helpless, and when I was at the end of my rope, he saved me. See, I had my plan. I had my band, and I had dreams and aspirations. I was completely naive about our potential. We could make it, guys. We could do it. We didn't do it. See, he was relentless. And he would not give up in his pursuit of me. And when I finally realized that I was lost, 
and that he had found me. I was trying to do it on my own, but he was bringing me back. I gave up, and I yielded to him, and I started to ask on a regular basis, God, what is your will? What's missing? What am I missing? And as I asked that question, my version of me began to fall away, and his version started to rise up. That is what I'm talking about today. You're being given the invitation to let go of your will for you and jump in on his will for you. And you can pray every day that you are given strength and wisdom to live under that covering. All right, point number one, his will is a life shelter, not a life sentence. Point number two, his will is not a given. We have a role to play. We need to pray it into reality. Point number three, back to Luke 16, verse 14. 14 through 18 says, When the Pharisees, a money-obsessed bunch, heard him say these things, they rolled their eyes, dismissed him as hopelessly out of touch. So Jesus spoke to them and said, You are masters at making yourselves look good in front of others, but God knows what's behind the appearance. What society sees and calls monumental, God sees through and calls monstrous. God's law and the prophets climaxed in John, and now it's all kingdom of God, the good news, and compelling invitation to every man and woman. Do you remember when Ben said that, about a compelling invitation to the table? I just think it's interesting. It shows up again. Point number three is this. Are you a Pharisee? If you weren't uncomfortable about sex and money, you're about to be. All right? Potentially. I hope not. A Pharisee was a religious leader in Christ's day, and a Pharisee was someone who knew all the right answers, but they totally missed it when it came time to love on people. They could follow all the rules. They could cover their butts. But they were useless when it came to helping people. So as I was preparing this, I realized this was a good place to talk about this. As I'm sharing all this right now, there's something interesting that's happening. You're hearing it, and you're filtering it through your way of thinking, through what you believe. And if you think I'm full of crap, then you'll roll your eyes, you'll dismiss these words, and you'll continue on living how you always have. Right? And that's fine. It's not fine, but you could do it. See, your heart might be hard towards change, but let's read this. Verse 14. Do you know who does this? Pharisees. The religious leaders of Christ's day, who I wrote were 100% ineffective. I'll say they were 99% ineffective. Maybe they did 1% good. I don't know. But see, they were so doubtful of his instructions and everything he said went against all their religious formalities that they ultimately ended up murdering him for his scandalous level of grace that he showered out on people. That same grace that he's showering out today, letting us come back underneath that umbrella in spite of all of our wanderings and in spite of all the stuff that we do and all the crap that we bring back. That grace is still available. 
See, they got all the rules right, and they thought they were performing their way into heaven, and people were hurting and dying all around them. So I, I honestly get super, super angry when we talk about this subject. Like, I, I need, like, an immediate subject change, or I need people who are ready to listen to me vent. Guess what you get to be today? Because I'm not changing the subject. So... Um, I've seen this mess up so many lives. Lives. I hate, I hate when I hear stories about a church. I'm not talking about this church. I hate when I hear stories about a church who doesn't like it when their worship pastor sways to the music. I hate that stuff. Like, for real, we're going to show up in heaven and we're going to be floored by the worship. Like, your preferences are going to fly right out that window. You're going to hit the ground. All that stuff you think people do that's crazy, buckle up. We're tame here. Buckle up. You might as well let it go right now and sway to the music. Because for real, that stuff, that man-made preference stuff, it's what Pharisees did. They had stuff that they were uncomfortable with, and so they impressed it upon other people. I'm not into that, and neither was Jesus. Let me let Jesus have the final word so that I do not rant on end. In Luke 11, 37 through 41, we would have talked about this just a few weeks ago. When Jesus finished that talk, a Pharisee asked him to dinner. He entered his house and sat right down at the table. The Pharisee was shocked and somewhat offended when he saw that Jesus didn't wash up before the meal. But Jesus said to him, I know you Pharisees burnish the surface of your cups and plates so that they sparkle in the sun, but I also know your insides are maggoty with greed and secret evil. Stupid Pharisees. This is what my Bible says. I'm just reading it. Didn't the one who made the outside also make the inside? Turn both your pockets and your hearts inside out and give generously to the poor, then your lives will be clean, and not just your dishes in your hands. And then I wrote in my Bible, boom. Do you ever write that in your Bible? Boom. I want to challenge you today. Don't let how you've always thought stop you from growing in Christ. Maybe it's not as severe as the Pharisees. But the most dangerous thing in the world is either a person who feels they have nothing to learn or the person who feels they are too far gone to be redeemed by Jesus Christ. Both are in dangerous territories. I would say equally dangerous territories. That guy that we call Apostle Paul, do you know before he was Apostle Paul, his name was Saul? And do you know what his job was? He was a mass murderer. He was an enemy of the church. He professionally killed people. I watched Gladiator last night, just, I don't know why, just randomly. Like, that was real stuff. That was jacked up. That's what he did. He killed people. And it was just another day. This is how big the power of Christ is. So great. He completely redeemed Saul, turned him into Paul, and then he wrote half over half of the New Testament. Half of this Bible that's like the Holy Bible, like 
no, number one times bestseller or whatever they say, like, Paul, a murderer. Not a murderer anymore once Jesus intersected his life. Okay. Don't sell God short. He can redeem you, and he has already paid the price for your full restoration. The only thing in the way is your trust and your surrender. And I'm not just talking if you're like brand new and this is your first time checking this whole thing out and you're wondering why it says sex, drugs, and rock and roll on the screen. Like, if you're like in church often and this is a part of your life, he wants to redeem you, broken parts of your life, stuff that you're holding on to, personal preferences, you can leave that here today. Don't be the type of person who rejects the offer of change. All right. More water. Luke 16, 19 through 31. Still in point number three, are you a Pharisee? I'm over in Luke 11. Here we go. There's a rich man and there's Lazarus. And the rich man has no time for Lazarus, the beggar. And then they both die. And one goes to paradise, Lazarus. And one goes to eternal torment, to hell. That would be the rich man because of his priorities in life. So let me just kind of paraphrase this. The rich man ends up in hell for eternity and he says, he's talking to Abraham and Lazarus over the great chasm, it says. And he says, send someone back to save my family, my brothers, warn them. And in verse 29, Abraham answers and says, they have Moses and the prophets to tell them. Let them listen to them. He's saying this isn't a secret. They have a warning. I was once told a story about a man who was stranded on an island. His shipwrecks, and he prays to God, save me, I know you can, and I know you will. And the very next day, a boat cruises by the island and sees the man and offers him help. And he replies, no, 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 it's okay. I prayed, my God will save me. You can go on your way. And so the boat drives away. One week later, another boat is cruising by, offers the same thing. And he looks at him, he says, no, 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 it's okay. My God will come through. I prayed, I believe. And then a month passes, and a third boat comes. And he says the same thing. And as the boat goes over the horizon, he goes, God, I prayed to you to save me. Where are you? And God replies, Bro, I've sent you three boats. What is your deal? Did you know God says bro? I know that that's kind of funny, but listen to me. That's what it is here. They have Moses and the prophets. They have warning. This isn't a secret. Romans 1 verse 20 says, No man is without excuse. Don't keep rejecting his offer of life. Don't keep running around outside of the covering and saying, I can see it. I can see the covering. I'll get back there when I need it. I'm good. Jesus is gracious. It'll be okay. For real, today, stop that crap. I'm looking at you point blank and I'm saying it's time to fully embrace 
the offer to grow up the way Christ has in mind for you. It's time to realize that your way of doing life alone ain't getting it done. And I'm talking whether you're brand new to this thing or whether you've been doing it a long time and you're calloused and you have preferences and you have opinions and you have your way, it'll all work out. Listen, he's never failed yet and he won't start now. My fourth and final point, where to begin. If you're a believer in Christ, you're here today, this isn't all new, you kind of know. I hope I've given you some stuff to think about. I hope you leave realizing that in the day-to-day, there's a role for you to play. We have a role. God's growing us up, maturing us, and we're to pray His will into reality. We're to pray that we stay under that covering, that we don't justify certain behaviors that make us feel good in the moment and leave us with shame and guilt and regret. I think it's time that we start, chant, start filtering the challenges in our life through these questions. God, what is your will in this situation? Not how do I feel justified in acting. Not what is fair considering the circumstances. How about how can I live under your covering and honor you? So you start chasing that answer and you'll see your whole life start to change. Because where does it stop? When we're justifying, when do you stop? Like, what, technically, like there's always, you start justifying anything, you can justify everything, right? It's a slippery slope. Maybe today you realize that you've let your heart grow pretty hard. You come to church, you nod your head during the message, you enjoy or you endure the music. And I know you don't endure any music here, all right, because we've got awesome music at Conduit Worship, but you enjoy, you endure the music, but ultimately you do have some preferences that you're holding on to. You feel justified, though, because you're not acting on those preferences. You're technically a team player keeping the rules. Today is a great day to let go of that. I wrote this. It's okay. In fact, it's actually holy. It's actually holy to admit that you've been wrong and that you want to start new. That you want to see life different. That you want to let His ways rise up inside of you. And that you want to let go of your ways and watch them fall away. All right. Lastly, if you're here, and this is all like brand new, and you've This was not what you were expecting when someone told you to come to church today. Come back next week and see if it's different. You're trying to figure out why I talked about money and sex and drugs and rock and roll. Maybe you don't totally get it, but you want to know more. Maybe you really like the idea of letting go of all the hurt that's been done to you, all the pain that follows you at times, all the stuff that you've done wrong, you want freedom from, and you want to start fresh with God, but you aren't sure where to start, 
I'll tell you. In John 10.10, Jesus said, I came so you can have real and eternal life. More and better than you ever dreamed. So today, if that's you, I want you to know real and eternal life. More and better than you've ever dreamed. More and better than you've ever dreamed. This is what I don't want to do. I'm not going to invite you to just say some simple prayer in your seat and walk out those doors and wonder, now what? What's next? I'm not going to do that. I want you to come up here and pray with me or pray with someone else. And I want you to tell your story because you are an expert at your story. I don't know your story, but your story matters. So whether it's during this final song as the band comes up and gets ready to sing us out of here, or maybe it's after the song and the hustle and bustle as people are picking up their kids, or maybe you send us an email through our app and just say, I want to meet and talk. This is what I want to invite you to do. Come up, tell your story, and then come back. And we'll have some one-on-one conversations. And we'll get coffee. We'll get Starbucks. Right? Or we'll sit on the white sofa in the back and we'll just talk once a week, every other week, whatever. But see, the most beautiful part of the invitation given by Christ is this. You don't have to do life alone anymore. See, the church is here to support you And the church is a family. Okay? When you surrender to Jesus Christ and you receive the forgiveness of all your past mistakes and you let go of all the wrong that has been done to you. Did you hear that? When you surrender to Jesus Christ and you receive the forgiveness of all your past mistakes and the freedom of letting go of all the wrong that has ever been done to you, you are now on the path of living free. Galatians 5. He has set us free for freedom's sake. While we sing this final song, if I just described you and your circumstance, your life in any way, whether this is you've been doing this a long time or you're brand new to it, I want to invite you to come on up, start a new chapter in your story, and we'll pray. We'll leave it here today. Okay? Awesome. Let me pray us into this last worship song. Lord, thank you for how good you are, how scandalous your grace is, how even in our wanderings, even in our wanderings, we can run back to you and get underneath that umbrella and start fresh today. Lord, I pray that that's real for people today, that they understand that. That they understand who they've been made, when they're remade by you, Lord, they're brand new. They're a son or a daughter. And we just thank you for that. Lord, I just pray freedom over these people. No more shame, no more guilt, no more hurt, no more feeling like a tool that's been used, but as a son or daughter of God, they can know true freedom. say in your word, it's for freedom's sake that we have been set free, Lord. May we know that freedom today so we can take it as soon as this afternoon or tomorrow in Lakewood or wherever it is and expand that freedom and share it with others and help others to know your freedom. We love you and praise you. We thank you 
that you have said we are yours. Amen. Amen. Stand and sing this morning.